You know, one of the many amazing things that you learn about God as you begin to look at him in his Bible is that um, he's a God who seeks to be with us. That's his desire. That's his heart. His heart is to do life, to live together with, to walk through life and through all of eternity with we, his people. And it's a desire that you don't just find in one or two places in the Bible. You see it all over the Bible. You see it all through the Old Testament. You see it all through the New Testament. And in fact, you don't have to read past the first few pages of either Testament to get the point. God desires to be with you, to walk with you. So, for example, then, when you open the Bible to the Old Testament and you look at the first couple of pages, what do you see there? Well, you see a God who, by the power of his word, his word is creative. By the power of his word, he speaks all things into being. He creates the heavens and the earth, and then he creates man after his own image. Hang on to that. Then what does he do? You're like, I think I know the answer to this. He takes them and he places them in the paradisal garden. He puts them into that place, that garden of Eden. Yes, right. And then what? Well, then he winds up the universe like a clock and he retreats to the lofty heights of heaven and he watches it all play out like a reality TV show. You know, he created his own survivor and that's what we're in. No. It's very different than that. What you see is a God who, by the word of his power, creates the heavens and the earth, everything in him, in it. And then he comes along and he creates man, male and female, after his image. Meaning in such a way as to reflect him, or even more specifically than that, in such a way as to teach us, his creatures, something about him. And so then, for example, he gives us ears. Why? So that we can listen to one another, so we can enjoy beautiful music like we just did, so that when we're driving down the road and somebody honks their horn at us, you know, we know and we watch out and we avoid that particular peril. It's like a safety device. Is that the reason? No. He creates us with ears to teach us that he is a God who hears were made in his image. So what does he hear? Well, he hears everything. He hears everyone, which is overwhelming to me. It's overwhelming to you. It's not overwhelming to a God who is infinite. See, the amazing thing about God is he's able to give you his undivided attention, the whole of him focused on the whole of you. In other words, he hears you. He gives us eyes. Why? So that we can see, so that we can read, so that we can watch his sunrise and his sunset and look up at the stars and marvel at their beauty and the wisdom of his creation and all of these various things. Well, I mean, that's nice, but that's ancillary. The real reason he gives us eyes is to show forth the image of a God who sees, sees what? Everything all at the same time. Are you overwhelmed? Yes. Is he? No. And what you've got to take to heart is that he sees you. He gives us mouths to show forth the image of the God who speaks. He speaks words of comfort into our troubled heart. He speaks words of wisdom into our foolish minds. His word creates, does it not? He says, let there be light and there is. Well, he says that in us too. He gives us hands, not just so we can work, but to show forth the God who himself works. He works all of the time. He works all things together for his glory. He works all things together, we're told, by his word for the good of every one of his people. He gives us feet, not just so we can move about, but so that we can know that he moves about. He moves about in our lives in ways that we cannot see and sense oftentimes. But he is a dynamic God. And so you open the Bible to the first few pages and you see this God who creates the heavens and the earth. He creates man in his own image. And then he takes this man and he places him in the paradisal garden, in the Garden of Eden. You've heard of it. And then what does he do? 
He does not retreat. He shows up personally, personally. And he walks with them in the cool of the day in intimate, loving, unbroken relationship. He walks with them. It's interesting, isn't it? His desire, his heart is to walk with you. But here's the deal. True for them, true for me, true for you. When you walk with God, you follow him. And that's exactly, of course, what our first parents did until that fateful day when the serpent shows up in paradise. And he comes to our first parents with the same lie that he's come to me with countless times, that he's come to you with countless times. And what is the lie that he deceives them and all of the rest of us with? He comes to us and he says, listen, true life is found not in that intimate, loving, unbroken, relational walk through life and eternity with the Lord your God, but rather outside of it. That instead of God being the source of every good and perfect gift, the source of satisfaction for every longing of our heart, the sole source of life and every definition of that word, no, 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 those things are better found outside of God. In fact, God is keeping stuff back from you. You'll find more without Him than you'll find in Him. And they took of the lie, just like the rest of us, They ate of it. They ingested it. They took it into their stomachs. We take it into our hearts. And it has the same poisonous effect. The woman eats of the fruit of that lie. She gives to her husband who's right there with her and should have hacked the head off the serpent. And he eats from the fruit of that lie. And what is lost? God with us. That's what's lost. But what's fascinating is then as you move past those first two or three pages and and you begin to read through the rest of of this book, you, you realize that, hey, wait a minute, this God who has been utterly rejected, this God who is so gracious and beneficial and has had all of it stuffed in his face, this God who has been rebelled against in ways that we cannot with our finite minds even begin to comprehend the offense of. He still wants to be with us. It's his heart. He wants to be with me. He wants to be with you, which, of course, takes us among other places, to the Christmas story. Why? Because the promise that emanates from the garden, from the fall, from the curse, all the way up to the Christmas story, from the first few pages of the Old Testament to the first few pages of the New, is what? It is that the woman who brought death to the man by inviting him into her sin would, through the production of a supernatural child, bring him life. It's amazing. God comes to the serpent, if you know the story, and he curses the serpent. And among other things, what does he say to him? He tells him of the seed of the woman, which is a little, you know, kind of befuddling, isn't it? I mean, you look at that and you go, boy, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense biologically. The seed is not in the woman, if you will. And it certainly doesn't make a lot of sense biblically, except here and in Christmas and 
some other places in between. But I mean, when the Bible speaks of the seed, if you will, procreatively, it speaks of the seed being resident in the man. That's what makes sense to us. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about one who will come forth from the woman without the aid of a human father. One who is God himself. So then when you try to comprehend all that, you realize, hey, well, wait a second then. So the God who originally made man in his image, his relational image, that he might, because his heart is to be with us, be with us and walk through life with us, through eternity with us, to restore all that was lost, was through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his conception, his development in the womb, his birth, his coming forth, made in the image of man. Made in our image. That he might, as a man, do what we haven't done. Live righteously before God. Live perfectly before God. Live with the proper respect and gratitude for the Lord our God. And then take upon himself our sin and ingratitude. And all of the consequences thereof. And wash them away with his perfect infinitely valuable for he is the God man blood and rise victorious over sin, ultimately over death as well for each one of us. He came at Christmas to restore what was lost in the fall and what has been lost and affirmed by us as well apart from him. And what is that intimate Loving, unbroken, walk through life and eternity with the Lord our God. Guys, by coming to us through Jesus Christ and calling us to faith by his spirit in Jesus Christ, the God man. He's not just inviting us merely to have our sins forgiven. I say merely like that's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. Don't get me wrong, but it's a means to an end. And what is the end? Relationship. Walk. That's what he's inviting us to. But. But when you walk with God, you walk down whose path? His. Which kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, just I'll just use myself as an illustration, okay? Who's going to have a greater plan for my life? The all-knowing God or the not-much-knowing me? The all-wise God or the not-always-very-wise me? The God who sees everything perfectly throughout all of eternity and all at the same time who comprehends wondrously all things and who loves in ways that my heart, being finite, cannot fully grasp, including me or, well, me. Who has the better path for me? Who has the better path for you? Is it you? It's the Lord. By inviting us to come to faith in Jesus, he's not just inviting us to come to him to be forgiven. He's inviting us to come to him, to be forgiven, and to follow him. To wake up every single day and to die to ourselves that we might live unto him. To walk in ever-increasing intimacy and love and relationship through this life 
and through all of eternity with him. And what I want to do this Christmas season is to look at that and to say, all right, what does that look like when it shows up in somebody's life? First of all, I want us to see it in the lives of the different Christmas characters. But then I want us to build the bridge between us and them and go, okay, so then what does that look like for me? What does it look like for you and I to walk with the Lord. And the first character that I want to look at is Mary, the mother of Jesus, the one in whom God literally physically was made man. What did it look like for Mary to walk with God down a path in which the Holy Spirit himself formed Christ in her and gave birth to Christ through her? Because I know that he wants to do that in me and you as well, not physically, obviously. But spiritually, that's the goal. And so Mary's story begins in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And I hope that in your personal worship time this week, that you guys have been studying this passage of Scripture, that you've been working through it, that you've been looking at it and going, Lord, there is so much here to adore, to worship you in for this, that you've been having it evaluate and sift you, that you might confess whatever sins that God, through His Word, because He communicates, yet today, has brought to your mind, and that you've been looking for ways to engage and doing it even with your family. Her story begins in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, where Luke says this. He says that in the sixth month, and we'll get to that, and then he says this, the angel Gabriel. And I want to pause here for a minute because I feel like all of us, or at least most of us, have heard this story so many times that there's a sense in which we're numb to it. It's like the mere repetition of it has anesthetized us to the words that Luke is saying before us. It's kind of like we come to the story and we're like, oh, yeah, the angel. Oh, I remember how this goes. And then what happens is he shows up and they talk and then this. And wait a minute. Luke is coming to you and he's saying, hey, an angel showed up. The angel, and he even gives his name, Gabriel, this guy who lives and moves, not just in the sphere of earth, that's us, that's Mary. But he lives and moves in the spheres of heaven. He stands himself before the face of God, the throne of God, heaven's king himself, and from heaven's king, he receives his orders. And so what else does he bring to earth? He brings the perspective of heaven. Hang on to that too. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, that guy, was sent from God, so there it is, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, and specifically to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And I will grant you that if we're looking to build bridges between our lives and hers, so far it's quite a chasm, isn't it? I mean, I have not experienced that, and I'm assuming that you have not either, but I will say that I think that there is at least one way and one thing that we can relate to here in regard to Mary, and that is that at least at this point in the narrative of her life, Mary thinks that she has her life all figured out. She thinks that she knows how it's going to go. Mary has a plan for her life. She has a path chosen. And if I can just kind of think for her for a minute, I think probably the plan went something like this. I'm going to marry Joseph. We're going to have a handful of children. He's going to have a successful career as a general contractor. If we play our cards right, invest right, and that whole deferred gratification thing, and maybe get a few lucky breaks, we'll be able to retire to a villa on the Mediterranean, and we will live out our days enjoying frequent visits from our grandkids. Pause. Can you relate to that? The bridge is pretty easy at that point, isn't it? What's the problem with Mary's plan? What's the problem with her path? Because I have the same problem. 
problem is that by inviting us to faith in Christ, God isn't just inviting us to be forgiven. He's inviting us to lay aside, to sacrifice, not just our sin. We don't just bring our sin to him. We bring everything to him, our bodies, our plans, our paths, the whole shooting match. And we recognize in humility by the aid of his spirit, because our hearts are like, you know, in the garden, listening to the serpent who's saying, oh, good grief, no. You'll find more apart from him. We die to those things each day and wake up and go, no, your path. That's the path of wisdom. That's the path of life. See, the deal is when you walk with God, you follow him. And so, you know, Mary's sitting around picking out China patterns and registering online for Crate and Barrel. And the angel shows up, this guy who lives and moves in the spheres of heaven, who stands before heaven's king, who is the Lord God himself, and receives his marching orders directly from him. And notice now what he says to Mary, because Luke tells us that the angel came to her and said, greetings, and then look at what he says. He says, oh, favored one. It's like a title. It's a name. It's pretty amazing. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is where? (laughs) He's with you. But then Luke says that she was greatly troubled, not at the appearance of the angel, which is what you would expect, but what the angel is saying to her here. So she was greatly troubled at this saying and and tried to discern what, what sort of a greeting might this be. I mean, what does it mean to be the favored one of the Lord whom he is with? What does that look like? What does that involve? I mean, because so far we've got, okay, it's his plan. It's his purposes. It's his path. Got that. But what does favor look like as it plays its way out in my life? And what's fascinating to me is that the angel here seems to be somewhat troubled that she's troubled. So he comes to her and he says, greetings, O favored one. He's pretty excited about it. The Lord is with you like he's going... Wow. She's greatly troubled. And so he seeks to encourage her. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found and what? Because here it is again, favor with God. It's like, huh? And for all the times that I've worked through this passage, and I've probably preached eight messages just on this passage, read it hundreds of times. The thing that never struck me before really is just the difference in perspective between these two people, between Mary who lives, you know, like us in the earth and who sees the way that we do with our physical eyes and hears with our ears and so forth. And this one who lives and moves in the spheres of heaven and who comes crashing into her life and through this word into my life and into your life with the perspective of heaven on what it means to be the favored one of God, of what it looks like to have him with us in some sense. And I think that maybe it struck me this year, because this year more than any, I feel like we have more people suffering this year right now than any other year that I can imagine. I don't remember another time quite like it. And here's what I know about those suffering people. They're the favored ones of God. How do I know that? Because they have faith in Christ and they walk with him. 
The angels come proclaiming in a later story what? Those upon whom God's favor rests. That's the ones to whom the favor of the gospel comes. These guys are the favored ones of God, these suffering folk. And the Lord is with them. So practically speaking, I guess the lesson I derive from that is that in this sphere in which I live, at least to my eyes, to my ears, to my hands, to my taste, to my touch, to my whatever, the favor of the Lord doesn't always look like favor. But the other thing that comes crashing in with this angel is the reality that it nevertheless is. That there is a higher, that there is a better, that there is a clearer perspective that God in grace through this angel doesn't just give to Mary, he gives to me. And through his word, he gives to you. It's like the angels going, no, 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 I don't think you get it. You're the favored one of God. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. You have found through grace favor with the Lord. It's fascinating. I thought about it, you know, and I realized there are favored ones here today whom God is leading down a path that involves cancer. Now, what a wonderful message then this Christmas message in some sense is to them. Because that doesn't look much like favor. Doesn't feel much like it. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. You've found favor with the Lord. The Lord is leading many down a path that involves unfathomably difficult marriages. Now, how does that message then resonate with you? Because on the one hand, it doesn't look and feel like favor, does it? On the other, there's a heavenly and a greater perspective. There are many who have experienced financial collapse in the last three or four years, massively. And I think the story should speak to you. There are many who are dealing with children who have like just gone off the rails. And here again, this should speak to you. There are many who have dealt with death recently, or maybe it's impending. Death of a husband, death of a wife, death of a child, death of a parent, death of a brother, a sister, or a friend. And it's like the angel is coming from heaven in some sense to speak, not just to Mary, I hope, but to us and to say, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, for through Christ you have found favor with God. Mary's path is a difficult path, but it's a path through which Christ is formed in her, through which Christ is brought forth through her. It's the path of the favored one, and God is with her. And she ought not to be afraid. And so the angel says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And But then Luke says, but Mary was greatly troubled at the saying. And I think it's understandable, is it not? And then she tried to discern what sort of a greeting this might be, because perhaps she's intuiting that the favor of God maybe isn't always going to look a whole lot like favor to her naked eyes. And so the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for now let me comfort you with the same message I've already given. You have found favor with God. And here's what it means. It means submitting your plan to his plan. It means submitting your path to his path. And it means having Christ formed in you. 
and given birth to through you. He says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And then Mary asks the obvious question. She said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? See, she understands biologically the way it works. But there's a promise emanating from a garden, isn't there? Finding its fulfillment here. Mary said to the angel, how will it this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The same creative spirit that moved over the waters of the earth and created in the creation story will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born to you will be called holy. The Son of God. And so he's coming and he's saying, okay, you're right, you can't do this. Christ cannot be formed in you on your own. You cannot give birth to him without aid. But what you cannot do, the Holy Spirit is going to do in you. And he's going to do it through you. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Anybody who's ever given birth knows that births are not easy. Are they? Yet that's her path. Well, you can add to the list. Cancer isn't easy. Marriage isn't easy. Children are not easy. Financial struggles are not easy. Death is not easy. But if you embrace God's path for you and traverse that path as those who see not just with the eyes in your head, but with the eyes of faith that the Bible invites you to view all things through. Then you'll realize that God is using these things as he takes you down these paths with peaks and valleys particularly, I think, in the valleys, to break you of your sin, to break you of yourself, and by His Spirit to form Jesus in and give birth to Jesus through you. So, I was emailing back and forth with the wife of a friend of mine who is battling cancer um, a couple of days ago, and... uh, just checking in to see how he was doing. But she said, you know, one of the comments she made, and he's very much a believer, he's, she said, you know, it's such an inspiration to me to see the way that he is just dealing with this. And my comment back was, I said, oh, for sure, he is preaching his best sermon right now. And she said, and his hardest. It's hard. But what's happening Christ is being formed in him. His character, his humility, his plans, his purposes that extend way beyond this life that this person, this man, this friend is having to deal with the reality of. The Lord uses these things to form love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in ways that seasons of great prosperity and ease will never accomplish or do. And not just for him, but for me and for you. 
And Christ is being birthed through him. As a community of people watch and marvel, you see, it's to his eternal favor and ours as well. So Mary is sitting around picking out flatware. And an angel shows up and she says, he says, okay, you're going to have a baby and he's going to be the son of God. And Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, what you cannot do, God is going to do. In and through you, the Holy Spirit is the answer. He will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born to you will be called holy, the son of God. And then the angel says something else that I think is very different or very interesting. He says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, she's beyond childbearing years and all her life she's been barren. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. It's another miraculous conception, if you will. And this is the sixth month, which is why this story began. And in the sixth month, this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. There it is. For nothing will be impossible with God. And so now what is he saying? Well, he's coming to Mary and he's saying, hey, um, your relative Elizabeth, also miraculously pregnant. Oh, and by the way, if you know the story... Her miraculous pregnancy was also announced in advance by an angel. So there's a sense in which the angel is coming to Mary and in this most unique of events in human history, even in that, giving her somebody that can relate to where she's at, to what she's about to go through. And somebody who can come to her and say, you know what? You're not nuts. Really. God's word to you is true. God is with you. The Lord God himself is being formed in you. And no matter where or how this path ends up in this life, he is leading you to eternal glory. It's one of the reasons why we talk about community. We're meant to live this life together. God puts us in a church. He puts us in a body. That's a little more intimate, isn't it? He puts us in a community of people, a network of folks that that he calls us to join meaningfully and purposefully. We're not a bunch of disconnected people who come together once a week and disconnect again, or at least we're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be a community of people, a faith family who does life together. And within the context of this faith family is an unbelievable amount of experiences with God that we need to be able to draw on. People who can come to us and say, you know, I realize that you think what you're going through is really unique. But let me tell you my story. God has given us not only his spirit, but he's given us each other as we walk together with him. And so the angel says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Go look, she's showing you. You should see this, which um, as an aside is exactly what Mary does. For nothing will be impossible with God. And that brings us to the great drum roll moment. You know, the great climactic question of this story. And that great climactic question is, well, what is Mary going to do? But it doesn't feel all that climactic to us because we know what she's going to do. We already know the story in advance. What is Mary going to do? Okay, she's going to lay down her plans and purposes and paths. And she is going to submit to the Lord her God. And she is going to walk 
the path that he chooses for her with all of its peaks and valleys. And Christ is going to be formed in her by the power of the Spirit, physically, literally, and she will give birth to him. The great climactic question in this story is not what does she do? It's what do I do? It's what do you do? What do we do with this? Because by inviting us to faith in Jesus, which is the invitation of the Bible, it is come and be healed of your sin. Come and be made right again with the Lord your God. Come and do or have done for you what you cannot do for yourself, but with the God who originally made you in his image, but then who himself was made in your image, came in your image to do for you. But that's not all the invitation is. It's do that, that you might walk with me. That I might with you walk through this life, ordaining your every path, every day, every moment, every step, in such a way that by my Spirit, Christ is formed in you and given birth to through you and seen in and through your words, your life, your actions, your testimony. He becomes the air that you breathe in some sense. He doesn't invite us to be forgiven so we can get our fire insurance and then file that alongside all of our other insurance policies and continue down the paths we already ordained for ourselves and pursuing the plans that we've already made. He's coming to us and saying, is that not foolishness? You don't think I've got a better plan? A more purposeful path? And he's inviting us into relationship with him. When you walk with God, you walk on his path. You follow him. And so the story comes and says to you, all right, whose path are you on? Are you off on your path, hoping that God will occasionally show up to follow you when you need him to help? Or are you getting up every day and saying, you know what? I'm dying to myself and my plans and paths. And I'm living unto you. Let me join you again today, Lord. Let's walk through this thing together. That's what Mary does. It's what she agrees to in verse 38. Mary, who, by the way, is probably 12 or 13. Learn from this young lady. Gives the whole of herself over. She throws her whole life in chaos doing it. Or maybe she brings her whole life under the order of the Lord. Depends on whose perspective, I guess. Mary says to the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. What a statement. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this precious girl. This one who, by your grace and the power of your spirit, allowed you to interrupt the whole of her life and handed everything over to you, including the most personal of things, her own body. That Christ might be formed in her and birthed through her to her eternal favor and to the eternal favor of all of us who realize that 
What's come undone, we cannot fix. And have run to the Lord Christ to be healed of our sin and be made right in our relationship with you. God, confront us with our choices. Confront us with our values. Confront our plans and our purposes and our paths, which left to ourselves lead where exactly? And instead, God, give us wisdom and grace by which to bring our whole selves to you, not just our sin. And Lord, to begin to learn to follow you with help from other people in this community and with the power of your spirit. Let us learn your presence. Let us walk with you for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.